Good morning. Welcome to Real Time with iPad. Good morning. Good morning. A podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks so much for joining us. Today we are talking about, we're continuing our discussion on retirement savings. But before we get into our topic, we wanted to let you know about the Employment Law Seminar coming up. If you have not already registered, you need to stop what you're doing right now. Go online to the IPELRA website and register. This is the annual event that you count on. Every year, we put together this outstanding session, and we're offering it again this year virtually. ELS will be the first week in March. You don't want to miss it. With us today, we have Joel Babbitt from IPPFA and NPPFA Benefits. Joel, how are you? I am great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a snowy single digit day and I can think of nothing better than looking forward to the future and planning for it. <laughs> Absolutely. So we wanted to get into some of the meat and potatoes of our, our subject today. Public employees participating in pension systems are eligible to retire earlier than age 65 when Medicare eligibility kicks in. Healthcare costs can be burdensome, even with the continuation of COBRA provisions on an employment plan, on an employer plan. How do retirement healthcare funding plans actually work? Well, that's a great question. So it's typically an employee-funded plan that, and it's, it's being driven on the labor side for the most part, and it allows members of a class to put money away completely tax-exempt. So the money goes in pre-Medicare and pre-Social Security. It grows tax-free, just like, just like a deferred comp plan, but better. And then the money comes out tax-free. And so the, we all know that paying for, you have to pay, you got to pay taxes at some point. But the beauty is, is that these retirement healthcare funding plans, it's like an FSA for retirement that you can use on premium. And so money goes in completely tax-exempt, it grows tax-free, and it comes out tax-free. And that's what these plans allow the participants to do. I now when we were getting ready to do this episode, you had sent me a link to a presentation that you'd done in the past, and it really just blew my mind. How many employers are actually setting up these kind of benefits? Because it seems like a no-brainer. So nationally, there's probably about twenty-five thousand that I can think of. That when I start doing some research, there's probably twenty-five thousand governmental plans established. And so it, it's, it's very prominent out there. It's, you see them all over the place. And the, the biggest cause of people not retiring is the cost of healthcare. And even though they can continue to stay on their employer's plan, the plans are no longer subsidized. And so it's keeping people from retiring when they should. But there's a lot of plans out there. So um, sometimes it's hard for me to grasp the magnitude of the world. And I think just about the kind of collar counter collar counties here in Illinois. Do you have any idea how many of our colleagues might be using a program like this? So we administer about 120 plans out of our office in Glenview. And I would think 105 of them are local units of government with the bulk of them being north of I-80. Okay. Wow. Well, I, I guess that makes me feel good. I wonder, um, I'll probably have to talk to you offline and see if we're, if we're doing it or if it's something that we can do. But can you tell our listeners, how 
I think we already know why it's so important. The, the cost of healthcare uh, continually rises. I know the average um, growth indicator is 6%, but I know my health insurance plan at my last employer went up 10% last year. And that's with, you know, no one predicted COVID. So there's really no guarantees on what anything will cost in the future. How does this differ from a voluntary employees beneficiary association or a VIBA plan? So uh, that's a great question. And what these plans are, are VIBAs or 115 trusts. So think of it as these retirement healthcare funding plan is just a term. You need to fund it. And it, the funding is put into either one or two different types of trusts. You can use a VIBA, which is a voluntary employee beneficiary association. It's a 501c9 trust. You can also use a 115 trust. And so think of it as a car. You need a, you need a vehicle that's going to get you from, from the, day, the day money goes into it until the day the money runs out. And you can choose either a 115 trust or a VIBA, a 501c9 trust, to get you where you need to go. They both basically do the same thing. Okay. And these are, these are um, vehicles that need to be installed by the employer. That is correct. So there's no ability for the individual participant to do anything. It's done at the employer level. The employer is the, the sponsoring entity. We have done some VIBAs, some 501c9 trusts that are sponsored by the local. And then they enter into, a, I'm going to call it an intergovernmental agreement with, with their sponsoring entity. And, and Megan, Downers Grove is a perfect ex example. Downers Grove Fire has has their own standalone VIBA. Yes. And they have, they are the sponsor. They've got a board that runs it. That's a, it's sort of set up like a pension. The board is picking the benefit level. Sorry about that. The board is picking the benefit level and they just have an agreement with the employer through their union contract that is funded through payroll deduction. Right. And, and that was going to be one of my next questions too. I was aware of that here, but um, it seems like this would go hand in hand with collective bargaining agreements. Is that, and maybe Christina, you're aware of this too. Is that something that either one of you um, can speak to? Are you aware of outside of the, our Downers Grove fire department of any other organization or unit of government that has bargained for something like this? Christina, I'm, yeah, ahead, Joel, I was going to say, I'm not offhand. I know it's come up in collective bargaining agreements that I've been part of, but never to the point where it's gotten off the ground. So with every single union that has put these plans in, it's part of their agreement. So mm. they're all bargained. And typically it could be just something as simple as, as like what the police union did in the village of Bradley. And that is, is they stuck placeholder language in their contract that basically stated, you know, if, if, blank local uh figures out how they want to fund it that the, the the employer will go ahead and implement the plan according to the union's wishes so it's got to be part of the part of the bargaining agreement it, it could be done through a side letter or a memorandum of understanding but with a union it has to be part of the bargaining agreement and then for non-represented it's handled a different way okay so um what about a health savings account or an HSA plan? I know also where I work in Downers, many um, other employers offer HSAs with high deductible plan. Can an HSA be used for future healthcare costs after retirement? How does that work? Yeah, so I have an HSA and I love my HSA. 
The problem with an HSA is that in order to have an HSA, you have to have a high deductible health plan. And the biggest problem with an HSA is that you cannot use it for premium prior to Medicare eligibility unless it falls under two different circumstances. One circumstance is, is that the participant is, goes on unemployment. Well, the problem is, is that somebody retires that typically doesn't qualify them for unemployment. And then the other piece is that they, in order to get to the money, they need or be subject to like a, a, a railroad federal benefit due to a disability. And that's typically not what happens. And so somebody retires, if they retire at 52, 55 on the safety side, they cannot use that HSA for premiums. And for the bulk of everybody out there, the big expense is the premium. It's not the, the co-insurance. It's not the out-of-pocket expenses. It's the month-in, month-out premium. And you cannot use the HSA for premiums prior to Medicare eligibility. Okay. What are the different tax implications on these plans, either when you're contributing or when you're withdrawing these funds? So the money goes into the plan like a, at the same place as a flexible spending account. So it's an above-the-line deduction. It's pre-Medicare and pre-Social Security, if it's applicable. So for IMRF participants, it's applicable for most of the police and fire. The Social Security obviously is not. So the money goes in tax-exempt. It grows tax-free, and it comes out tax-free. Money can only come out of the trust, whether it's a 115 or a VBA 501c9 for qualified medical expenses when they're eligible for benefit. And typically eligibility is separation of service, regardless of age. We have amended plans recently to allow furlough because furlough is technically not separation of service. Right. And, and we've also amended a plan recently that would allow a participant to start accessing the money after they after they no longer have subsidized healthcare from the employer. And it's typically they're in a, they're in a disability, they're looking for a disability, a duty disability, and they're in the process where it's gonna take some time. And so mm -hmm. we can set up triggers that allow somebody to get to the money prior to separation of service. But the direct answer to your question is, this is tax exempt. It's better than anything else out there. Because if you think about your, your HSA, you're still paying Medicare and social security. With deferred comp, if you're putting it in pre-tax, you're still paying Medicare and Social Security, and you're paying taxes on it when it comes out. If you're doing a Roth, you're, that's an after-tax contribution. This is completely tax-exempt. This is never taxed, and that's what makes it so unique. So, Joel, you mentioned um, a little bit ago that the employee themselves can't independently set up this type of retirement health care funding plan. It has to go through, it has to essentially be an employer-sponsored plan. So if that's the case, why should employers consider adding a, health, a retirement health care savings plan in their organization? What are, the, what are the pros and cons to an employer? So let's start with the pros. The, the biggest advantage is, is, is this is really one of the rear win-wins. If it's structured right, what you're, the problem that employers have, have is, in a typical example, we were on a conference call yesterday where it's a police bargaining unit. They get paid out upon separation of service, 35 cents in the dollar up to the first 800 hours in their contract. So what do you think happens when an officer gets to 800 hours? They, they start burning their sick time. They just call in sick. 
because they're only getting 35 cents on the dollar. So the advantage to the employer is, is that you can start reducing li- your OPEB liability. You can start reducing your sick day banks and you're creating, you're taking a liability and turning it into an employee benefit that allows the employee on a tax exempt basis to get enough income when they separate service so they can retire when they want to retire because they have a sufficient amount of money sitting there to pay for healthcare. So the employer wins because it should reduce overtime. It reduces your OPEB liability. It should reduce sick day banks if it's structured correctly. The drawback is the money can only come out for medical expenses, including premiums. And nearly all the plans that we do, there's no employer contribution. This is all employee money that goes into the plan. From the employer standpoint, what could be the downside? You know, the the downside is that, you know, the only one I can frankly really think of is that they may, depending upon the relationship they have, whether or not they're building their own plan with a law firm, there may be, there could be some upfront significant expense, depending on where they look, who their vendor is. Um, But for the most part, there's really no downside for the employer. Okay. And as you said earlier, the employer doesn't actually have to make any contribution. So the, the costs you're talking about to the employer might be in the setup of the plan and, and sort of the initial administration right. fees be, and, and, and set up. Correct. And so when you look at the, the usual suspects that put in these plans, your implementation costs are, are typically less than $1,000. And it's a one-time upfront charge that, that the entities are charging you for, are charging the plan sponsor for. Um, okay. And so it's, it's something that's not all the material we have. We administer some plans that were custom built by where the entity went out, the unit of government went out, hired a law firm. They, they did spend a significant amount of money on the plan documents and we just provide the administration. And so it, there's really no downside to the employer because it, if it's structured right, you're getting to pay out liabilities in today's wage rate completely to the employee tax exempt. And if you do it right, you're going to create incentives for the employees not to burn sick time and it will reduce overtime at the end of the day. Okay. So last week we talked, um, we had a guest on the show to talk about uh, some 457 plans and, and we talked a little bit about the COVID impact on retirement savings. So um, when we talk about retirement savings as a whole, it often includes discussing diversifying the portfolio and, and in public sector, that generally means, you know, you have a combination of your pension and your 457 plan, uh, maybe an IRA, life insurance, et cetera. How do the healthcare retirement savings plans fit into that picture? Well, for we've been preaching that a participant should be scaling back their deferred comp to get more money into these plans, because the problem with the retirement health care funding plan is an individual member cannot, like a deferred comp plan, pick how much they want to do. So it's got to be done by class. Mm-hmm. And, and so an example of that would be, you know, maybe the members of the bargaining unit zero to two years are at zero percent when they're on probation. From two to 10 years, they're at two percent. Ten to 20 is at three percent. So these things fit in perfectly because you have to pay for health care and you might as well pay for them tax exempt completely tax-free and all the other vehicles out there. If you look at your pension, you look at your 457s, you look at your IRAs, you look at your life insurance, unless you're doing the 457 Roth, everything you're doing is is generating taxable income to you in retirement. This is a tax exempt 
reimbursement for medical expenses. What a participant pays, what a member pays for Medicare is driven by total taxable income. This is not taxable income. And so there, this has a great place in the retirement pyramid. And we've been sort of arguing that people should be scaling back their deferred comp plans and putting more money into these retirement healthcare funding plans because you have to pay for healthcare. And what our experience has been is that if you've got a 55-year-old retiring and let's say the premium is $1,000 a month when they retire at 55, you have 6.5% healthcare inflation. I think you need $168,000 just to get from 55 to 65. And, wow. and then Medicare, it's a lot of money. And then Medicare, you know, Milliman does a study. They're out of Minneapolis. Their study assumes, you know, if you and your spouse were 65 in January of 2020, and you're going to have average prescription drug use, you need 351000 just to pay for Medicare with the male living to 83, the female living to 85. And that does not even include long-term care needs. And so we think, and we think these have a great place in the retirement planning, primarily because you have to pay for healthcare, you might as well make a tax exempt. So Joel, I, um, as I think you know, I have recently started a new job a couple months ago and I've had several jobs before I got here. Um, when we set up these retirement health savings accounts, what happens when you switch employers? Do the, pro do the plans come with you? Do you need to convince your employer to create a plan there? Can you roll it over into anything? So it can only roll over into a like kind plan. So, if, so let's take you as an example. You, if you were with one employer that had a plan and then you moved to an employer that didn't have a plan, you would no longer be contributing into it. Your money would stay on account until you, unless you decided to spend it, it's going to grow tax-free. You get to take it out tax-free for qualified reimbursement expenses that you're incurring after tax, but you would need to go to your new employer, at, especially on the non-represented side and say, Hey, we would like to put in a plan for department heads. We would like to put in a plan like Buffalo Grove Park District, all non-represented. It took about a year of education, but they ended up building a, a funding a funding methodology that was zero to five years of service was in, covered by IMRF was 1% of salary. Six to 10 years was 2%. Uh, 11 to 15 years was a 3%. And and the beauty of these plans on, the, on whether it's the labor side or the non-represented side is that when you implement a new plan, you offer a one-time lifetime opt-out. And so what happens is, is that somebody that does not want anything to do with it, they can opt out of the plan. They're out for the remainder of their career at that employer. But if you move from one employer to another, if they have a like-kind plan, you can consolidate it together. Or the plan just stays there and you have the ability, like an FSA, to start spending it. Okay. Um, and I think the other thing that always that brings that always comes to my mind is what about if you experience a catastrophe? Is there any way to get that money out before you retire? No, there's no loans. There's no hardships. Um, okay. It's frankly not subject to marital property rules for quadros. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. there's no way to get money out unless you separate service, furlough or the plan allows for a distribution in the event of some other set of circumstances. Okay. So Joel, talk oh, now, go ahead. No, 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 please jump in. I was just going to say during the, the recession in the late 2000s, um, you know, we had, we saw a lot of people who had planned to retire, uh, see the retirement savings decimated and they had to change course and 
weren't able to retire. Um, now we're dealing with a global pandemic with COVID-19. Uh, are you seeing that impacting the um, the healthcare retirement savings plans at all? Are you hearing from your your sponsor groups or your employee groups that um, you know they want to change the amount that they're contributing or somehow do something different because of that? Yeah, it's it's that's really COVID has has radically increased the desire of entities to put these in, and the existing clients that we have are are looking to turbocharge getting more money into these plans because they 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 see the value they see that they that they're looking at healthcare and how expensive it is and on the safety side there's a fair amount of burnout right now and so you see we're seeing a fair amount of retirements especially on the police side and what we hear repeatedly is boy I wish I had more money inside my plan because it would certainly make retirement just a little bit more comfortable mm-hmm. okay right so for uh, for those listeners that don't have the option of a healthcare retirement savings plan at work, is there, I know you said that you can't set these up individually, but in that case, what would you recommend? You know, so I, my employer doesn't offer this currently, um, but obviously I want to be prepared and, and save and invest in my future. So what would I, what would I do or could I do? So there's probably you should utilize a health savings account if you have a high deductible health plan. I would look for an HSA that had an investment option instead of just a cash only option. And there's plenty of them out there, whether it's through payroll deduction or on your own. There are there are some exceptional health savings accounts that you can invest the money. And so that would be one thing I would do. I would also look at maximizing your deferred comp. And because if you're using it pre-tax, the money's going in tax deferred. If you're staying in Illinois when you take it out, you're paying no state income tax as of today. It's been that way since 1982. So I would utilize the tools that you'd have available. And and the, the easiest one is the deferred comp plan. Get as much money into there as humanly possible. The second one would be is you've, if you've got an HSA, max it out, get that money invested. Just don't keep it in cash, but get that money into, into an investment platform that will hopefully help it grow just like your deferred comp plan. Okay. Um, now, Joel, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, wow, that's so the, the numbers you mentioned earlier um, in terms of what, how much money it takes to re- retire. And then uh, if your life expectancy is, you know, 83 to 85 and the Medicare costs, those are pretty staggering numbers. So when should someone start really thinking about planning for their retirement savings? Well, that's a sort of a loaded question from my end because we preach the day you start working, you need to start saving, mm-hmm. um, especially the tier two and, it, and especially the IMRF tier two or teacher retirement system tier two, where you've got to be age 67 and you've got a pension that may not be sufficient for you. And it's not as the coal is not as generous. You walk out prior to 67. I believe you take a mandatory 6% annual reduction in the pension benefits. So the day you start working that is the day you need to start saving. And Joel, you and I have been friends for years and I'm always just impressed how well you know this information and how well versed you are in all, all these things. But for the rest of us, I think many of us are woefully uneducated on um, 
how much we need to save for retirement, learning what these terms are. How can we get more information about this? What resources are available for us to educate ourselves as HR directors or educate our employers that we need to provide these options to our staff? So most of the retirement plan providers, whether it's Fidelity, whether it's the major deferred comp vendors, they all have real robust calculators up on their website. And especially okay. when it comes to retirement healthcare funding, the, the large deferred comp vendors that offer these programs, they have exceptional calculators up on their website. And it's something that I can send you links to them so that you have, you can look at multiple different ones. And the other piece that I think is that we're finding on the education side is that we, we need people to start thinking differently about benefits because it seems to me that the benefits and the compensation aren't in line to maximize everyone's best interest. An example of that is we were working with a fire district locally and their OPEB was about $2.1 million. And their contract is giving a 2.75% pay raise. Well, that means their OPEB is going up by $58,000 the next year. And so there's ways to start tackling these OPEB issues, which will allow the employees and the employer to save money, reduce liability, and get people with the ability to retire when they want to. Because people aren't retiring because they can't afford the health care. Sure. And I want to interrupt you for one second. Um, if any of our listeners don't know what OPEB is, could you tell us briefly about that? Yeah, I apologize. OPEB is, it's a liability of benefits other than pension. I hope that's, that's technically correct. So it's the mm -hmm. liability you have to report on the books under GASB, the general, the governmental accounting standards bureau. I think that's what it is that says these are the promises or our, our exposure to benefits to the employees. And it's mostly sick and vacation time bank. There's a little bit of liability because an employee can stay on your health insurance plan when, you, when they separate service. That's about 2%. Um, and so it's a liability that you have to post on your book. And there's a way to get that benefit down and get employee money out in a very tax efficient way. Wow. Uh, well, as, as always, you are just a, a wealth of information. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, Megan. And if any of yeah, before, Christina. Before we conclude, um, Joel mentioned some links to those calculators. I think it'd be great for our members and our listeners to include those links when we post Happy our podcast. So. Great. Thank you, Joel. And, and Joel, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or they want more information specifically on how you can help them, how can you be reached? So the best way to probably reach me is certainly email at joelb at ippfabenefits.org. Uh, and frankly, you're welcome to call me at 773-427-2060. Uh, I promise I'll return the phone call. It may take me a day, but we will get back to you. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that I put those links into the body of our podcast as well. And listeners, if you have anything to say, if you've got any questions or, or anything you would like us to elaborate on, you know we're listening. Send us a recorded voice message we can play or join us on a future podcast. Connect with us through the website, www.ipelra.org. And of course, on Twitter at I-P-E-L-R-A. We are always bugging you with surveys and questions, asking you what else you'd like to hear about. If you'd like more information on these topics, let us know. 
And as always, support IPELRA by becoming a member. We are dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. And this has been Real Time with IPELRA. Thank you so much for joining us.